This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash carrie brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Everyone, welcome back to the Fatty Joe Show. This is our second episode with the amazing Siobhan Huggins, who is absolutely incredibly intelligent and I, I learned so much from if you haven't caught the first episode please go back and check it out it will help get you up to speed of what we're talking about and there is a ton of great information about cholesterol labs all kinds of stuff we covered a lot of topics and we continue to cover a lot of topics before we get started on the episode i want to thank all of our patrons who support us i'm going to give a couple special shout outs at the end of the episode so be sure to tune into that. I also want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. Check out our videos that we put up there. We got cooking videos, Keto 101 videos. And when you watch those videos, it helps us bring in a little bit of revenue so that we can help put this podcast out, improve it, and, and kind of continue. Because as I did not know when I started a podcast, it could be quite expensive with hosting fees and, and everything that is involved to create one of these so you could help us out that way also leave a comment and review down below and let us know how we're doing these comments and these interactions help get the podcast out to more people and i will read some of these on the air when we get some more we're out of new ones right now and i'm hoping that people will put in some more so i can read some more on the air one other thing i want to let you know is carrie brown has her happy healthy keto program up and running so if you need a kickstart on keto or a refresher or even if you're starting keto for the first time it's a great course to be in you have a good community in there that will help encourage you and move you forward and give you a place to belong plus with Carrie and Kim Howerton, there is so much incredible information that is presented in this program. Everything from cooking fantastic keto meals with tons of recipes and meal plans and even meal plans for extremely busy people. There is also how to look at your macros, how to deal with that, how to uh, 
what the different biochemical responses in your body to help you reach your goals and different techniques that you can use with intermittent fasting and all kinds of things, um, you know, uh, eating schedules and all that. Kim Howerton is incredible on the science aspect of that. So she brings a lot to the table there. And of course, uh, Carrie's recipes are absolutely phenomenal. And I get to taste test them when she makes them. So that that's even better for me. Um, so check that out. And also check out the other master classes Carrie has up on Teachable. There's some really great programs to help you on your keto journey. All right. Without further ado, here's the show. The benefit of working with a doctor, especially one who's familiar with low carb, is that they have all of this clinical experience where they've seen a whole wide range of cases. And it's like, oh, your case looks exactly like this other one I dealt with. It's probably this thing. Or, oh, usually if you're experiencing that, it's just this thing. Just change that and then, you know, we'll see how it goes. And so there's so many resources and even things like private lab testing, CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, where you can get real-time data on what your blood sugar's doing in response to various things. Uh, just so much is available now <laughs> where it's like, okay, we can really get the data that's important to us and figure out, oh, if I do this, if I don't sleep very well, my blood sugar goes back into the diabetic range the next day or anything like that. So I know I need to really focus on good sleep. Like that is so incredibly important. And I'm just <laughs> glad to be alive in this time where, you know, I can go to a private lab and, oh, I want to look at this and this and this and this, because I think that relates to what I suspect is the issue. Oh, they came back weird. Okay, I'll work on this and then see how they react to whatever I'm doing. I've seen so many significant changes from people just deciding, this is my health. This is my responsibility. I don't want to feel like this anymore. It's time to really get serious about this, collect this data and make smart decisions, work with my health team, and then their life is just change forever. <laughs> it's like, great, awesome, <laughs> excellent. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it nowadays too, our diagnostic tools have so much more, have become so much more advanced to the diagnostic tools that were being used when a lot of our current dietary standards were put into to effect as far as actually becoming government policy. When people like Ansel Keys and even Weston A. Price, who, uh, who went for real food, low carb, even now, if he had the diagnostic tools of today, what, how could his theories have been altered and changed and how could his mind have been changed? We have to realize that we have new tools to look at things in a different way. So with these new tools, we have to be open to changing our minds. Absolutely. As we get more information, it could be that what we thought was super obvious, and of course it works that way, is actually not how it works at all. And it's okay. Like the whole point is to learn and better understand so that we can make better decisions about our health and about the population's health and all this type of stuff. It could be that there's multiple answers in this context, the answer is this, in this context, the answer is this etc. And I'm super excited for what we're going to learn, especially with regards to ketogenic metabolism and all this different type of stuff regarding metabolic syndrome, because like you were saying, we do have these awesome tools. And now we can go back at the old research, replicate it with all this new information and just learn so much more from that. There's probably a lot of assumptions about how metabolism works and how fat works from a high carb perspective. And now we can be like, oh, what 
what does this do in a ketogenic context? What what does this do in a carnivorous context? We had this assumption, but now we can go and look at it in a whole new light and see if it's still true. And that's exciting, <laughs> super exciting. Yeah. And, and who knows what happens 10 years from now with the new tools that are, are being currently tested, you know, with what kind of data we could bring in. You've been doing some more research on, on other aspects of keto too. Uh, like you've got probably a list of 10 different things that uh, have all been going on, I guess, recently or simultaneously, or you're a very busy person. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be an accurate description. Um, yeah, so a lot of what I've been focusing on is projects with Dave. Um, we started a private lab testing service on yourlabs.com that's been taking up a lot of my time, just tweaking things and getting all the wrinkles ironed out, stuff like that. And I've been having a lot of fun with that. Um, and the fun thing with that is that one of the things is we don't have a lot of information about what things look like when people are low carb or carnivore or even plant-based and stuff like that. So one of the things that you can do with Own Your Labs is when you're checking out, there's this checkout with discount option. When you select that, you're opting in to submit your anonymized data. So your name, where you live, all that type of stuff is redacted out. But when your results come in, they get added to this anonymized database. And it's like, oh, this person is carnivore and they look like this. Or if we group all the carnivores together, this is kind of what it looks like type of thing. <laughs> so that's fun. It's fun just to you know, kind of get this project really going. And it's something that has probably been a good thing to be working on um, for a while, especially with ketogenic diets and carnivorous diets gaining popularity. This isn't me like trying to push like, oh, you have to like use this service or whatever. I just think it's cool. And I don't make any money off of it. All of the proceeds go to the Citizen Science Foundation, which is uh, the 501c3 nonprofit that Dave and I started. Uh, and the project that that is working on is the lame-ass hyperresponder study, which I'm sure he talked about at length. So both of those things take up a lot of my time. And then, of course, just maintaining cholesterol code and answering all the comments that come in and things like that. And then doing experiments and then researching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine it's, it's a lot to carry over. Uh, have you guys been looking at how the low-carb diet is playing a role in, at all in immunity, respo immunity response when it comes to fighting off infections, like maybe some current large infection that uh, name shall not be mentioned because of uh, possible uh, censoring? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I had looked into that specific topic uh, when it first started coming up because I was really curious about the existing data on it and what we can kind of learn from it. As far as ketogenic diets playing into that specifically, I haven't been, but uh, there are two things that I'll give you to put in the show notes. Uh, one of them is a clinical trial looking at um, how ketogenic diets may play in with people who are already sick, if it helps mortality, for example. Um, and then another, which is arguing that ketogenic diets may be useful and kind of outlines why it may be. And again, there may be nuance to it. Um, is it, you know, helpful if you're ketogenic before and less so if you're already sick? You know, I don't think we know that. But one thing we do know with regards to that is that people with underlying health issues like diabetes and metabolic syndrome, um, obesity do seem to have it worse off. We already kind of know that generally ketogenic diets can help with that. So if 
those are important factors to consider, then yeah, maybe it'll be helpful. Yeah, the I really want good, strong research coming back on that. And I think eventually we'll probably get it, especially with that clinical trial, which is still ongoing. So I'll be looking at, you know, what they publish and what they find. But yeah, mostly I <laughs> I have a long list of muted words on Twitter and there are quite a few related to that on there because it's like, yeah. I'm already stressed I'm, enough. <laughs> I think I'm going to call it Sauron. Just for- <laughs> yeah, Sauron. <laughs> so... Um- the one of the theories that I, I was thinking of is is related back to the inflammation. If you're constantly in a chronic state of inflammation, which we know is is bad versus acute inflammation for injury or illness, your immune system's being overtaxed. It's constantly working and it may not work as well if another infection comes in. Yeah. So- it's funny that you say that because <laughs> that main central point is something I've been thinking about for a long, 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 long time. (laughs) So that not only relates to, you know, Sauron. um, And (laughs) to clarify, we don't know this is an ongoing thing. Uh, We need to focus on learning. So no conclusions can be drawn, not saying that. But with diabetes, for example, we know that people with severe diabetes can have infections that don't resolve, which can lead to needing amputations. Is that also another example of you are overtaxing your immune system all the time, and then you introduce this new problem, and yeah, it might not resolve. <laughs> it might not do things quite right. And is that also what we're seeing with autoimmune diseases as one example? That's a strong claim to make, and I'm not making that claim. But <laughs> there is a, a researcher who's been looking into multiple sclerosis for something, I think, for like a decade. And he published a paper where he was saying, hey, maybe this autoimmune reaction isn't random. Maybe what's happening is the myelin in the brain is becoming damaged. And then the immune system starts this autoimmune reaction in response to that damage. If that's the case, that's really, really, really important because it could impact how we treat MS in the future. Currently, still a hypothesis, still needs to be investigated, and I think the team is working on that. But if it ends up being true for MS, is it also true for arthritis or other things like psoriasis? And could this be why People are sometimes seeing improvements or resolution of the symptoms when they're going keto or carnivore, because that is something, you know, it's one of the major things that people report back, like Michaela, oh, my arthritis went into remission. I know people who've mentioned psoriasis, I had eczema go into remission, like all this different stuff. And it's like, okay, this could be really, really important. If this is happening, potentially, we don't know yet, because the immune system is being overtaxed all the time from diet or environmental factors, if we change that, is it possible that these things could resolve or not be an issue in the first place? Who knows? It's this huge, massive (laughs) avenue of exploration that could be really important. Another interesting thing is a lot of the time people will comment, oh, I went keto and now I never get sick. It's like, oh, is that because your immune system can really just focus on having this initial really strong reaction as soon as you get infected and then just takes care of it. And so you're not symptomatic. Yeah, maybe (laughs) I would love that to be investigated. And so yeah, the overtaxed immune system hypothesis is something I've been speculating on. And I'm starting to see in other areas that, you know, this may 
have some support behind it as far as the data that we have, but it's still very inconclusive. And so I don't want to say, oh yeah, if you stop taxing your immune system, all your problems will be resolved forever. No, <laughs> like I can't possibly, but is it worth exploring? I definitely think so. I even occasionally use a term in reference to it, which is just like immune system otherwise occupied. <laughs> right. And so it's like, oh, we see this thing in people who are very metabolically unhealthy. Maybe that's because immune system otherwise occupied. <laughs> well, I mean, if you could look, if you could draw a correlation in a, in a different way, but you look at things like HIV and AIDS, very few people actually die from the viral load of HIV or AIDS. It's always a secondary infection because yeah. the because uh, the viral load has destroyed the immune system and can no longer function. So things like a cold become a life-threatening disease now. And Absolutely. It, so that's that's kind of where I was thinking about the overtaxing of the immune system and how it could affect thing. If your if your immune system is already occupied or impaired in some way, obviously another infection is going to be more deadly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it is compelling, and because it's such a touchy topic, I just try not to get anywhere near. You know, I'll leave that to the researchers to figure out, but. Yeah, if they ended up investigating that and found, oh yeah, that is why people with diabetes and who are obese or metabolically unhealthy are having an issue, or even the elderly, which, you know, they're more at risk of infection as well. That would be super fascinating. Well, you know, with reading nutrition and physical degeneration, which I seem to reference a lot on this show, um, you could probably do a drinking game of it. But uh, when West Indy Price was traveling the world and he was seeing people who were not just eating their native traditional foods in more tribal or rural areas, but also living more of a uh, lifestyle that matches up with the circadian rhythm. They were going to sleep at certain times. They were, they were living an overall of what we are now viewing as a more healthy lifestyle. They found that a lot of these people had things like tuberculosis, widespread in their communities, but nobody was symptomatic. And yeah, fascinating. But when they went to the industrial areas where not just are they eating the industrial foods, but they're getting exposed to a lot more environmental toxins. So their toxic load is overloaded. Their sleep patterns are probably destroyed. We know from reading Upton St. Clair's The Jungle that the industrial areas were not the most pleasant place to be. So more and more people were expressing those symptoms of tuberculosis and it was becoming life-threatening in those communities and they were passing away. Yeah, it's definitely endlessly fascinating. And I think there are so many hints that we can get from comparing, oh, what's the frequency of something in an indigenous population, for example, or just a generally healthy population? I tend to go there because <laughs> it's an easy one to pick and say, these people are generally healthy. Let's go look at them. Also looking at other things like, oh, they don't really have as many issues like allergies or autoimmune diseases or Alzheimer's or heart disease or diabetes. Why is that exactly? And if something is at a low rate there and then a high rate in, you know, Western society eating whatever diet, then it's like, this makes me wonder if the conclusions about, oh, these things are entirely genetic, there's nothing you can do. If that's the case, then why would there be such a split, especially if you expose those people to the same diet and environment that we're eating, and then they get sick within the same generation, which is what happened in Okinawa. Or if they 
come here and they start eating our diet and then the same thing happens. It works both ways. We take it to them or they come here and start consuming it. Yeah, it <laughs> calls a lot of things into question and a lot of assumptions into question. I would really like those investigated and clarified of, oh, is this actually a context thing? Where, you know, in an immunology textbook, you'll read allergies and autoimmune diseases are increasing in frequency, but also they're largely genetic or mostly genetic or whatever. It's like, wait, <laughs> I don't know that those two statements really fit together that well. Maybe there's some other component to this. I think it's worth exploring for sure. And it's, yeah, <laughs> complicated, but I mean, there's hints that we can kind of see and say, oh, this is, this part is probably worth investigating of if this is true. And if so, it could be, like I said, a life changer for a lot of people. A lot of these researches into a single cause of for, you know, for, for immune system or, or things like that, I, I honestly feel are really misguided. It's very short-sighted. You know, and I, I relate to a lot of our issues in society when we look at things that way of looking at just the surface problem and not what actually causes that problem. Culturally, it's, it's an issue in our society. With, with a lot of the things that we see on the news, and then when we do it with our physical bodies and we're not looking at, at all these overlaying causes, it, it really seems to be a, a definitely a handicap on our way of thinking, which is I, I think where the people like yourself and Dave and Ivor and, and those that look at things with, the, with an engineering mind, Nina Teichels for one, and Gary Taubes, they, they, they very much look at whole systems rather than just surface problems. And you guys are the ones I think that are going to spearhead changing a lot of the ways we look at things. And the more inclusive we are with the data of all kinds of different aspects. Yeah. And again, like this is not just us. <laughs> There's so much existing research and ongoing research from non-low carbers. Like I think non-low carbers can have, or rather, I think low carbers can have a specific perspective because they already have this experience of, oh, things didn't actually work the way I thought they did. But the MS researcher, for example, I seriously doubt he's low carb. <laughs> I'm sure he's just like some normal person working and living as anyone else does. But he has really interesting ideas and he's following them up with his team and has been for a long time. And there's a lot of interesting research regarding, you know, the gut microbiome as young as that is, um, as young as that understanding is. I mean, you know, gut permeability, inflammation-related processes, and how the immune system can change metabolism. Like there are papers from, you know, the 1950s, 1960s that are talking about some of this stuff already. And it's really a process of trying to piece it together and understand how it all fits together. Yeah, thinking about it from that system perspective. <laughs> Hopefully, this will lead to long-term better understanding. Uh, that would be my hope anyway. And I hope that people from many different perspectives, many different diets can all add their input and say, oh, I figured out this piece of the puzzle. Let me add it. And ah, I found out this piece. Let me add that. And then just all working to better understand and not come to hasty conclusions and not rely on poor data, but really try hard to push past our biases because everybody has them and just try and really understand what's going on because we have to, like what we're doing now is just not sustainable for society, yeah. for insurance companies, for 
you know, the cost of medical care is just not, <laughs> not <laughs> going to work. And yeah. so, yeah, that would be my ideal is just everyone from all sides coming together and being like, we have to figure this out. You know, it probably isn't one molecule or one whatever, one tiny thing. It's probably an overall context that we have to really understand to fix the problem. And yeah, I'll see it with like Alzheimer's research, for example. Um, oh, we found, you know, a higher proportion of these microbes or this protein or whatever in the brain. For example, like finding bacteria in the brain or whatever. It's like, ah, infections must cause Alzheimer's because they have more bacteria in the brain or whatever it is. It's like, well, maybe it's that the context that they're in means that they're having a harder time fighting off infections, for example, or that the barrier between the brain and everything else is compromised. I mean, we kind of can see that in Alzheimer's and MS as well, where the blood-brain barrier isn't functioning quite properly. And so maybe it lets bacteria in easier if it is damaged. That's another thing that's worth exploring. The infection thing is like, if that's the case, then wouldn't we see higher rates of Alzheimer's in societies that don't have access to antibiotics and things like that are getting more frequent infections, and we don't. <laughs> so right. maybe that's not quite right. And it's really just a process of trying to falsify yourself <laughs> over and over again. It's like, oh, I, I think it's this. If it isn't that, <laughs> how right. would I know? Like, what would I be looking for? And then trying to find that thing. And it's really difficult because your brain wants to assume that you are correct. It's an ongoing process of, no, no, let's try and not assume I'm correct. Let's assume I'm actually wrong. I want to know that as soon as possible so I don't waste my time looking into this for any longer than I have to because that's a waste of time. The confirmation bias is strong in our society. So it, it yeah. people, unfortunately, in our current society, we've put more... Uh, stock into opinion and belief rather than fact or even the desire to seek that fact. So, right. I mean, this is part of the human condition, I guess you can say. We want to be a part of the tribe. We want to believe what other people believe. We don't want to stick out. And that can you know, be a problem. But it's something we all have to deal with. It's not just in our society. It's just humans. It's a human problem. It's a brain problem <laughs> where it's like the brain is like, I want to work through this specific pathway. And it's like, I know you want to do that, but that's not really the best thing. And that's why we have the scientific process of, you know, the null hypothesis, setting up a hypothesis and trying to disprove it, like all this type of stuff is to try and prevent that immediate. Ah, yes, this must be the answer response. <laughs> like mm. this whole structure is just trying to work around being human. You have some, I, I like to make the podcast about total health and you have some things that also relate to your health and you actually do a podcast on it. These are your hobbies. And ah, yeah. So I, uh, I want you to talk real quick. You know, tell us about your, your hobby and your podcast related to your hobby and tell us people about it. Cause this might be something that people may be interested in joining you on. I don't know about that. <laughs> so uh, one of my major hobbies is actually knitting. This shawl that I'm wearing, I made. It uh, took a while. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of fun with it. My mom taught me to knit when I was like eight or something. And I crocheted before that. And it's just a very relaxing hobby for me. I can pick a pattern where I don't have to think at all if I've had a really busy work day. It's like, I just want 
to like put my hands to work and not think about what I'm doing because I thought a lot today and that's exhausting. If I have a slower day, then after work, I may pick a more complicated project and work on that or design my own project. I have a couple different ones. I seriously doubt my dad will listen to this. So <laughs> I am designing him a hat um, that I'll be calling the first service hat that's kind of uh, in memory of all the times we went to certain places together when I was a kid. That's just really fun, like thinking about a person and then like, okay, I'm going to make this for them. <laughs> and it's special for them. I have also designed a cowl for mom that I called the contact inhibition cowl, which is about like one of my favorite papers. <laughs> it's talking about uh, when endothelial cells are all touching and kind of this flat sheet they won't take up LDL as much, but then if you like disturb them, then they'll suddenly start taking it up. And they call that process contact inhibition because the process of uptake is inhibited when they're in contact. And that's just a really fun paper. So I was like, I want to design a cowl after this. <laughs> There's that. One thing that I would often do when I lived with my parents is I'd go to mom's office and I'd say, oh, I'm working on this and like pull things out. And, like, here's how it's going. Or I like totally messed up and misread the pattern. And I had to rip out like 20 rows and it sucked. Uh, but when I moved out to Colorado, I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> and like, sure, Amber has some passing interest in what I'm working on, but she's not a knitter. And so there's not this long involved conversation that can happen. And it's also not my mom. <laughs> and so I started a knitting podcast a while back. I think I'm like, five episodes in and it's just that same process of pulling things out it's like here's the yarn that I'm using here's where I got it from here's all the problems I had and it majorly sucked <laughs> originally it was like just for her to watch but then other people started finding it and commenting on it I mean not very many people it's like 50 <laughs> it's not that much um but still it's interesting and I like sharing and sharing what I've learned and the mistakes that I've made and how I fixed them um, and so I started like now when I have a new episode out, I like tentatively put it up on Twitter like, hey, if you kind of sort of want to watch, you can. I don't know that it's very good or entertaining, but apparently it is to some people. <laughs> so that's one of the major hobbies. Well, you know, knitting, much like when I when I draw, it, it's very much like a moving meditation. Definitely. You yeah. Clear your, your head. So it's a, it's a very healthy hobby to have. I actually had a couple of truck driver friends who were dudes who knitted like crazy. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. And one of them in particular, he knitted beanies, stocks and warmies for the children at his local hospital in the cancer ward. Yeah. I know a lot of people who do that, like the preemies, um, just knitting mm -hmm. for hospitals or homeless shelters in general. Um, if I had extra time, I would be doing that because we have these little free library boxes. I want to like make hats and just stick them in there. <laughs> like whoever needs a hat can take one. Um, but go. this year has been ridiculously busy. So <sighs> not, not this time, <laughs> but yeah. And it is definitely moving meditation. Like I'm a, the kind of person where it's like normal meditation of like sitting and just let your thoughts like blah, 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 just annoys me <laughs> like I get really irritated immediately and I think part of it is like I don't like being told what to do even if that person is me 
But with knitting, it feels like I'm doing something productive and I'm not bored. You know, at the end of the knitting session, I can look and be like, oh, I made like an inch of progress or I got through this pattern repeat, whatever. And it's really satisfying. And then, of course, at the end, I have something nice or I can give my mom something or my dad something. Or I recently made uh, the youngest housemate a hat, which he was super excited about. I just don't like feeling like I'm not being productive. (laughs) So a lot of the hobbies that I used to have, um, like playing games, for example, I just don't do as much anymore. Mm. Because it's like, I'm doing this, but I could actually be doing something productive. (laughs) It's not to like diss on playing games. It's a good relaxation thing i just have my own um <laughs> ways of thinking that it doesn't mesh as well anymore but What's yeah and the name then, of your podcast uh it's the full fat knitting podcast <laughs> like i just had to my sister actually suggested the name because i was like i don't know what to name this i was gonna name it something really like weird with a obscure scientific term and my sister was like just call the full fat knitting podcast it's like wow <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I, I'm going to invite you to share about your podcast on the Fatty Joe Show group. If you want to come over and join anything that you want to share, including the podcast, and maybe you can get some knitting partners from our group. And if you send me the some information on it, I will share it to our private groups as well as, as the Fatty Joe Show page. Nice. I'll definitely join that page. I like the only reason I use Facebook anymore <laughs> is for the group. So yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, I found that throughout my life, a big thing that I struggle with is just the constant looming boredom that's like right around the corner at all times. And so whenever something gets too easy, it's like I either have to crank up the difficulty or increase something new. So with knitting, it was like following really simple patterns and then more complicated patterns and then adjusting patterns to fit what I wanted and then just designing my own patterns. (laughs) So I don't know where that's going to go. But um, and then also just Within the past couple of months, um, I started working on learning Japanese because it's a language that I just find really fun. And there's a ton of entertainment in media from Japan that's really interesting. And one of my goals, and I suspect this will take like legit years, (laughs) is to read some of my favorite classical Japanese literature in Japanese and just see like sometimes certain nuance and choices that the author has made is lost in translation. And that's true of anything. It's like, I really want to see what kind of tone they're using, what specific words they've chosen for certain scenes, like the flow of their writing. I'm excited for that. It's going to take a long time, but (laughs) I've been, I've been working on it. And these are all like, these are all great exercises for your brain health. They, they've shown that people that speak, you know, polydactics who speak multiple languages often do not succumb to Alzheimer's or de- dementia through age that their brains start, their brains kind of stave off a lot of these, these issues that, that a, many people in our culture are, are experiencing. It's not always true. It's not a 100% thing, but it seems to be a correlation in it. So I like this because it will in, maybe inspire people to find their own hobbies and find things to keep occupied, especially right now where so many people are, are have lost a lot of the things that they want to be able to do. It may encourage people to find something new to experience and learn so that they can keep improving themselves or keep themselves occupied in a very challenging time. Yeah, definitely. I think boredom is <laughs> really difficult and people's hobbies can sometimes be tied into social things like going to bars or parties or whatever and then suddenly they've lost that. With that, they lose a lot of social connection 
and socialization is very important for people. Like I'm an introvert, but I do have like a minimum threshold that I need to meet, (laughs) you know, doing the podcast, although it's not a pure replacement for that, it helps to have a sense of community and people to talk to and learn new things and feel like I'm not just sitting at home stuck inside doing nothing because that's not a very fun thing. Even with like more active hobbies, like there's tons of exercise you can do at home with no equipment if you like exercising. Um, Isometric exercises are great. Um, Just using body resistance training and stuff like that. There's also, you know, things here that I can go outside and go on a hike or a walk and I can keep my distance from other people, but that's a very relaxing thing. And I enjoy being able to do that. Language learning, knitting, Um, learning to sing, piano, like all this different stuff are available. And often there's online communities for it. And yeah, I think it's healthy to have hobbies. I wonder if part of it is also that kind of the healthier you are, the more energy you have for that type of thing. Because, you know, after that high carb experiment, there's a good two months for my (laughs) health and mental health was at like peak, not good. I mean, not the worst it's ever been for sure, but the worst it had been in a long time. And I found that my creativity had kind of disappeared. My knitting kind of planning for designs, I was really struggling with it and I couldn't get up the motivation to do it. Yeah, it was kind of frightening in a way because it's like, (laughs) wait, (laughs) what happened? It did eventually come back and that was kind of a sign for me that I was getting back to a better place. So yeah, I would highly encourage people to find something that they enjoy doing, even if there's no actual health benefit, like having fun is good. (laughs) please make time for fun. And I think there is a health benefit to having fun. I mean, comedy, things like that, we have proven to to have a physiological response in people. So we're going to get ready to close out because I'm actually running out of power on the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I am... uh, I am going to ask my standard questions for, I try to ask everybody, and then we want to make sure that we leave the contact details at the end. And my first question is, what are three foods you think everybody should avoid? That everybody should avoid? I don't know. Well, I guess (laughs) copious amounts of seed oils would probably be an easy one. Other than that, I think it's probably largely individual. And, Mm. um, you know, if something doesn't make you feel good when you're eating it a lot, maybe just try removing that thing and see if that's making you feel worse. Um, but specifically, I largely think diet's going to depend on the context, like we talked about, um, and even preference. Like some people avoid things out of preference. I don't like liver; it makes me feel gross, and it's also disgusting. So I don't need it. So for me, that's in my top three. <laughs> there you go. And what are three foods you think everybody should include in their diet? And it could be you could be generic about it, like classifications of food, or you know certain fats or or whatever. Yeah, again, it's another individual thing. So foods that result in you being healthy and being full of energy and having a healthy sex drive and all that type of stuff, probably those things. <laughs> what that is, I could not tell you. Who are five of your health heroes? Uh, let's see, definitely my mom would be number one because she got me into this whole thing. Um, she's wicked smart and she's been doing keto alongside me for these past nearly four and a half years. Um, She's lost about the same amount that I have. Um, She has found that keto has helped with um, arthritis that she developed from having Lyme disease twice. (laughs) Only mom would get (laughs) Lyme disease twice. Um, 
So yeah, definitely her. Um, she's also made massive improvements on the concussion that she had. She had a lot of memory issues afterwards that lingered actually for several years. And then she went keto and I don't think she's like 100%, but she's like 90% back to normal, mm -hmm. which is a big deal. <laughs> like she has I, to I, think a lot. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, number two, I mean, Amber O'Hearn, my roommate, she has tremendously improved her mental health with diet. Um, she's definitely gone through a lot of struggles and experimenting, and she's probably still doing that, honestly. But just the tenacity and um, number three, April Eiley, she is the person who was diabetic despite going keto, despite trialing carnivore. I know she's made a lot of progress. It's still an ongoing journey, but she was interviewed on uh, Daisy's podcast, Keto Woman. So you mm -hmm. can find her story there. I would highly recommend it, um, especially if you're ever struggling like just go listen to that and know like even if it's extremely hard if you just keep trying keep trying to find those answers keep experimenting sometimes things can change in a massive way yeah Andrew Scarborough is another one and basically just like so many of the different people that I meet um yeah <laughs> There's so many in the community where it's like, I've reversed this issue, I've reversed this issue. I really struggled, but now I'm in a good place. And it's like, I draw inspiration from all of those people. And I hope I can somewhat contribute back to that and inspire other people as well. Like, that's the whole point of community. Um, so yeah, just everyone who has ever taken their own health into their own hands and dramatically changed their own life. Every single one of them, <laughs> even if I've never met them yet. Nice. Yeah, we, this that question is really to to just bring out more resources to to people, but also yeah. to you know because so many of us have like lists of health heroes. But I have to <laughs> pretend. <laughs> yeah. Another you know? one, another one I'll mention um, is uh, Nif. She is Seizure Salad on Twitter, and mm. she uh, has kept her epilepsy and remission with the ketogenic diet. And it was like really, really, really bad. Um, she was on a whole ton of medica medications. They were considering brain surgery. And finally she tried keto and like, I can't even imagine being in that situation and finally just finding something that actually worked and didn't have all these side effects and issues that she was experiencing and what a joy that must be and just how absolutely life-changing yeah i would definitely recommend um looking into her story i believe she's been on the low carb md podcast definitely i love the name that's such a creative name <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is a what is some sort of health myth you wish you could get rid of overnight um Probably that, you know, if you're facing some sort of mental health issue, that it is always this chemical imbalance thing and there's nothing you can do about it and you can go to therapy and blah, 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 but you'll always, you know, suffer with it. And maybe in some cases that is true, but I mean, the work of Georgia Eat is definitely something I wish were more well-known and discussed just in the mainstream of, hey, nutrition may be playing a part. And, you know, it's low risk, potentially high reward. Perhaps it's worth investigating if you're struggling. Um, sometimes people don't see improvement until they go carnivore. Like Amber had lingering mental health issues until carnivore, things like that. The other thing is the opposite. <laughs> sometimes diet does not fix everything. Um, sometimes you do need that therapy. Sometimes you do need that additional support. Sometimes, yeah, things are difficult. And so those two sides of the coin, diet can sometimes help. And maybe it's something we should discuss as a possibility. 
and something we should uh, just be telling people that, you know, this is being researched. Uh, we do have, you know, anecdotes at the least for right now. This is something that probably isn't going to result in a lot of side effects or complications. And yes, you should definitely work uh, with someone, especially if you're on medications, but, you know, it's a maybe. And on the other hand, if you're doing a ketogenic diet or carnivorous diet, and there's just some things that are still bothering you, yeah, go get that therapy. <laughs> go get that yeah. counseling, like talk to someone. Um, maybe it's, you know, something you weren't equipped to deal with at the time that it happened. Maybe you just need to talk to someone, have someone know what you're going through. Uh, maybe you, yeah, so <laughs> both sides. And what is something that if you could change something in the medical field? the medical healthcare field overnight, what would it be? Probably just doctors knowing that there's more options if what they're using in the clinic isn't working. Um, I know that's a major issue is doctors becoming jaded and becoming burnt out and genuinely becoming depressed. Um, it's something I've talked to my own doctor about. You know, doctors are struggling. And I think part of that is they genuinely love and care for their patients. And the advice that they're getting now may not be working as much as they want it to, or may not be working at all for their patients. And it's sad. Like these are people that you care about. These are people that you went to medical school, worked grueling hours, all this type of stuff to help. And then, you know, you just keep seeing them and they're getting worse and worse. And one thing that I've heard a lot from low carb doctors is once they realized, oh, there's another strategy that may actually help these people in massive ways. And even if it's not low carb, even if it's whatever, you know, <laughs> helping them with a certain type of therapy, um, group discussions, like all this different stuff, focusing on sleep, focusing on stress reduction. There are other things that may be worth exploring that could be really useful for you and your patients. And ultimately, everyone then improves, their health improves, their joy in life improves, your joy in your job can improve. That's something I've heard a lot from doctors who have found these other strategies. And it's like, I can finally help people. That's what I wanted to do all this time. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I don't think anybody's brought that one like up in that way before of, of the issues that doctors that are going through that are affecting their ability to provide the health care. Yeah, definitely. And it troubles me a lot. <laughs> like yeah. these are people who went into healthcare because they care about people's health and it can reflect on their own self-esteem, their own feelings of their self-worth and value in their life. And yeah, I just wish it was taught for doctors to experiment too. And I'm yeah. sure there are plenty who do and all that type of stuff, like not dissing doctors, but for the ones who are struggling, maybe just try something different or kind of look and see what data is available that may be relevant to your patients. And then you know, maybe try it on yourself first, if you're not sure, and then maybe see if it could help them. Even if, you know, you're talking to them and it's like, I don't know if this is going to help you, but I have found data to suggest maybe it could in your situation. And do you want to try it together? And I'll help you if you do. That's awesome. So if people want to find Siobhan Huggins, what are all the contact details? So if you have lipid-related questions, the best one uh, to go with is cholesterolcode.com. Um, I don't often reply to DMs and private messages just as a time sync thing. I will set aside time every day to answer uh, comments on cholesterol code, though, so that's a good place to go. If you just want a community that's kind of talking about the science behind cholesterol and lean mass hyperresponders, which we didn't get into, but I'm sure Dave did, um, we do have the Cholesterol Code Facebook group. 
and then the Lean Mass Hyperspawner Facebook group. I really like both of those. I like the community that we've kind of built and the respectfulness and all that type of stuff. I'm fairly active on Twitter, Siobhan underscore Huggins. You can also check out Own Your Labs if you want to, but we do encourage shopping around, comparing pricing. Um, there are some things where it's better just to get it elsewhere because it's a lot cheaper. And that's kind of what we care about, like affordable labs. If we can't, I'll just straight up tell you, we should probably go to this other place. They got way better deals. <laughs> you can also check out the Citizen Science Foundation and the work we're doing there. And yeah, I think that about covers it. I'm also on Facebook. You can add me. <laughs> I think it's like siobhan.huggins.509 or something. But if you look me up, you'll find me. Definitely. I want to close out the show, everybody, because uh, the power is down to 3%. And (laughs) so I want to encourage everybody to go look up the work that Siobhan and Dave are doing. It is really enlightening and it can give you a lot of tools and resources to take charge of your own health. I also want to encourage everybody... Yeah, one one more resource, because uh, I'm completely biased. Um, go check out Amber O'Hearn's book. <laughs> it's in progress. It's go. being posted as it's being written. It's really fascinating, and I'm waiting anxiously for new chapters. She also has tons of other blog posts and resources on carnivore. Highly recommend two thumbs up. Definitely yeah, biased, but it's fine. <laughs> she's one of the ones that I, I am definitely going to ask to come on the show because uh, she was. I met her at one of the conventions. She's a great lady and I love her story and the, the research that she's doing herself and putting out. So um, I have a whole list of people I'm trying to get to. And a lot of it started with the order of how I found the people. Yeah. So, so I was just kind of going along. That was That's why the first five episodes are early influencer series. These are the first people I found to get me on my journey. So yeah, it's definitely interesting to just kind of go back and revisit those people and be like, what you been working on? <laughs> I also want to encourage everybody, it is the holidays, and um, it is also leading, probably when this comes out, leading outside of the holidays, possibly towards Super Bowl. Check out Carrie Brown's masterclasses. The Ice Cream Masterclass has got a course up, running, static. There's a holiday masterclass, which the holiday food in that class shouldn't just be for the holidays. I'm telling you, man. Like, um, If you want a Super Bowl party with some awesome keto appetizers, there's some great recipes in there for that. And plus, pecan pie, I'm, I'm sorry, it should be eaten at least once a month. And she, <laughs> great, she has a great recipe for pecan pie. So make sure you check out the Carrie Brown cookbooks. There is a bunch of them up there. The keto crock pot was something that I used in the truck a lot. My favorite recipe out of there is the beefcake stew, which was inspired by the uh, Cuban Kalel, Danny Vega. And uh, that's that. it's a fantastic beef stew. I love it. And it incorporates whiskey. So I, that's another reason why I'm a big fan. Yeah, um, that's always a good sign. <laughs> yes. So be sure to check all that out. Check out the Fatty Joe Show page. We're just getting that started. The Fatty Joe Show group, if you want to come in and talk to us. Uh, we had just got that started. Also, the Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And if you want to support the podcast, keep us ad-free. Go to patreon.com slash the Carrie Brown or patreon.com slash the Fatty Joe Show. And you can uh, help fund the show and keep us ad-free for as long as possible. Hopefully one day we'll get enough people in where I don't have to edit the shows because it takes so long and I can focus on putting more content out. (laughs) Yeah. If you want a recommendation for an editor, I can give you one. Yeah. I've uh, 
Chris Duckett is going to be probably my go-to right now, but I would definitely take some some recommendations for others just in case he gets too busy to handle us by the time I'm ready. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, everybody. As always, I want to encourage everybody, especially now in these times, be kind to one another. Being nasty and being um, just mean toward other people comes back on you. When you're kind and you put this kindness out, it, it is something that will come back to you tenfold. So, and it, it makes everything better around you. When you're kind to people, it, it, it creates a better environment, which is much more relaxing and less inflam- inflammatory on your system <laughs> and not being kind to people. Everybody, so long. I will see you all later. And Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks so much for having me on. Anytime. The door is always open to you. If there's something you want to come and talk about, just reach out to me. Excellent. And yeah, I'd also like to extend uh, happy holidays to everyone. If this does come out after the holidays, I hope they were fantastic and awesome. And I can definitely reiterate the just try and be nice. (laughs) For me, my life is a lot more pleasant when I just go that extra mile and just try to be nice to someone. Often people will kind of return what you give them. So I find that nice. Plus, plus you never know what somebody's going through in life, you know, and, and, and what's going on in their day. There might be a reason somebody gets nasty. And if you get nasty back, it just might perpetuate that cycle. Definitely true. All right, everybody. So long. Farewell. Thank you for tuning in to the second half of the episode featuring Siobhan Huggins. Siobhan is definitely somebody I want to bring back to the show down the road eventually. She's always doing something new. And you guys want to really go over and check out the cholesterolcode.com and check out some of the information that they're putting out. It's really incredible stuff. And check out their labs program if if you want to get more detailed information on what's going on inside your body. I also want to encourage everybody to go check out carriebrown.com and look at some of the master classes that are being run up there. Right now, there are some master classes like how to make keto ice cream and uh, the keto ice cream scoop master class and a holiday uh, master class teaching how to make all these great holiday foods, which in my book isn't just for the holidays. There's some great dips and things in that uh, course that are keto, appetizers, things like that, that would be fantastic for a Super Bowl party or something like that. And a lot of stuff I would just eat there like every day if I could. So go and check that out. And also, if you need a little bit of a refresher or um, if you're just starting out keto or you know somebody who's just starting out keto and they need some help, Kim and Carrie are setting up their keto happy healthy keto program to be a static course that you could jump in at any time so go and check that out it's a fantastic program where you get the science behind keto how it works how to learn how to use your macros and read your macros you also have fantastic meal plans that are everything from real detailed meal plans that you can really throw down in the kitchen to just, I'm in a hurry, I need something real quick and to be out the door. So there's several meal plans to choose from. There's tons of the science information that's that's available so that you can really learn what happens in your body when you switch over to a carb-restricted lifestyle. And there's also a fantastic Facebook community where you can join other people who are on the journey. Kim and Carrie both do uh, 
lives that you can talk to and they have a, a schedule when the lives are happening so you can jump in and actually get some one-on-one help talking to both our fantastic chef Carrie Brown and our science lady Kim Howerton. So go over and check those out. All right, everybody, I want to close out by, of course, saying, everybody, be kind to one another. We have a new year. We have a new start. And I want to encourage everybody to make it the best year possible by putting out as much kindness into the world and making it not only your physical health journey, but making your society a little mentally and emotionally healthier. All right, everybody, see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.